You know, it, it, let me put a finer point on that. I would not be interested in going to a white Baptist church. But oh, a yeah. black oh, yeah. Baptist church? That's a great way to Absolutely. say it. Absolutely. That's a great way to say it. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I'm William. I'm Dave. Dave is my pastor. Willie is a hospice chaplain. And we've been friends for more than 20 years. We've had thousands of conversations about things that matter and things that don't. So now we're inviting you to join in. Each week we pull a topic out of the hopper and talk about it. This is the Hopper Podcast. The Hopper Podcast is not professional advice, just two guys spitballing. So do your own research. Hey, Hopper Podcast Hoppers. Recently, I was out of town and helped to officiate the wedding of one of our Hopper Podcast supporters. One of the other... uh, people who was at the wedding was uh, taking me back to my hotel after some of the events were over, and he had a question for the hopper that he wanted to throw in the hopper. So I pulled out my iPhone while we were driving, and I had a great conversation with him. The next few minutes is going to be part of that conversation, which I have edited down uh, because the audio is actually poor quality, but I wanted you to hear some of it. So for the next few minutes, listen carefully, and then Dave and I will talk about it. Start with the observation that the church seems to be more segregated than society. Yeah. I'm not saying the society is not segregated, sure, but I think sure. the church is more segregated. Yeah. So, what are the structural barriers that churches, maybe the, the church air quotes, and then individual churches need to overcome to solve that problem? You're asking about structural changes. Yeah, let me put a couple of just points on that. Yeah, good. These are just a couple of data points from Pew Research over the past maybe like 10 years. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly when when they came out. Yeah. One is that um, 79% of African Americans in the United States identify as Christian more in the South. Yep. All right. So if your plan to integrate your church is to find African Americans who are not Christians and then convert them to Christianity and have them come to your predominantly white church, yeah. you're running a numbers game that's probably not going to work. Right. That's... right? You're, you're restricting yourself to 20% of the African American population. Right. So that's a losing losing plan. And in the South, it's even less. In the South, yeah. it's even less. So at some point, mathematically, a black congregation and a white congregation have to get together. Right. The second thing I want to point out, and this is just another observation that I think flavors the conversation, is that when asked about uh, expectations at church, there are are distinctly different preferences between the African-American and white population. That's right. So, uh, politics, right? Uh A majority or a plurality of blacks expect politics to be discussed that's from right. the pew. That's right. And a majority are at least okay with politics being discussed from sure. the pew. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's and it's opposite from whites. Yep. A plurality expect politics to not be discussed from the pulpit. That's right. And a majority would not be okay with it if it happened. Yeah, yeah. So my point about those two things is to just kind of put up oh, some it's very important. Some important parameters on the discussion. Because yep. I think we have a tendency to thinking glittering generalities about well, eh, when we all live intentionally and then we all, you know, engage in, you know, getting out, you know, meeting the neighbors and walking around the neighborhood and being nice and then this kind of thing happens where yep. we meet somebody and they yep. say, Oh, where do you go to church? And then, you know, we all come into the what is it? Revelation Kingdom. All, every tongue, every tongue, <laughs> right. tribe, and nation. Right. You know, all at this, all, all together. Yes. And I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think that uh, white right. churches have to interrogate in a very, in very intentional way, not simply like, oh, what do we need to do to make our congregation more appealing to black people? But they need to say, okay, how do we reach out to 
ex-African-American congregation in yeah. this city yeah. Uh, yeah. that we probably contributed to the segregation a hundred years ago. Yeah. The, the act of walking across the aisle, if you will, walking across the road, walking across the... The railroad, railroad tracks, proverbially. The, the yeah. proverbial railroad tracks, yeah. I actually think is crucial. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it's crucial. And, and something funky is in the United States, the expectation has always been that once the barriers are gone, that it's black folks that will do the walking, right? We take we, huh, we take down yeah. the barrier. If, if I'm no longer a racist, they should come and worship with me. Exactly. That's yeah. like what happens, right? Yeah, if I, yeah. if, okay, the racistness is gone, now black people will go and just take advantage of this wonderful new world we've created. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, right. All right. And what's your name? Who are you? Uh, I am Matthew McCraney. <laughs> Very good. Hey, thanks for driving me back to the hotel. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so uh, he's asking about multi-ethnic churches. Yeah, that's right. Right, and there's a, there's a lot to be said there, um, and I've got a lot of experience, as do you. Yeah, we do, and, both of us. Right, and I have some very clear thoughts on that. You know, so the idea that, that people ought to be doing church together um, some people choke on and think that that's not real. Okay. And so the theology there is that through the gospel yes. um, and the reversal of the Tower of Babel and yes. Acts when they're, they're yes. speaking different tongues and the gospel's going out in all these different languages right. is that God is creating a new humanity. That's right. And that new humanity in Christ is there's no barrier of hostility. That's right. That that all of that, those human interactions, those right. political interactions, those societal problems yes. must be resolved in Christ That's right. as part of this new redeemed humanity of the yes. new kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. The New Testament it talks about that on almost every page. And the end, the end result, when you look in Revelation, is that we are all together worshiping the Lamb. Correct. From every nation, tribe, and tongue. Yes. There are representatives. Yes. And God wanted diversity. He wanted different cultures. He wanted different peoples and shades and varieties yes. and languages. And he wants to pull from all of those into a new humanity. Right. And it's not going to be American. It's not going to be white. That's it's right. not going to be English. It's going to be a new humanity. It's it's going to be all those things and everything else. And everything else. And, and, That's right. And something that is that is wonderful and uh, restorative yes. and divine, right? It's diversity and unity at the same time. And we want to reflect that as best as we can because yeah. when we do, it shows the world a foretaste of the coming powers. Totally. That this is the new heavens and the new earth, and we want to be about not only the restoration of creation yeah. from the fall, but the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth. We want to demonstrate what God cares about. Okay, so that's the goal that yeah. we're kind of assuming. And his question has a lot to do... Uh, he was a little bit rambling, um, but I don't know how, how anybody could ask that? that question without right. rambling, honestly. There's sure. so much to sure. it. Um, and so, uh, but... It, how do you do that? How do question. you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, he was suggesting that what he, one of the things that he has heard is that white churches are saying, uh, now that we're no longer racist, all black people come. Or maybe we can say, if, uh, you know, preachers saying, here is the vision that our church, our particular church, is supposed to be multiracial. We have mostly white people here now, so go out and invite your non-white friends to come and be a part of our church. Right. But he was saying that's really difficult to do because 
especially with black folks, most of them are in other churches already. Right. Or just the, the, the idea that uh, now that we've, uh, we've discussed people of color and systemic yeah. error and yeah. racism, um, there's this assumption that they, they want to be a part right. of our churches, and these multi-ethnic models are trying very hard to make them a part That's right. of our churches, but they're, they're not working out so well. And Another thing that looking at that and saying, "What's wrong? Why? Why aren't why aren't people of color just flocking into our churches?" Yeah, and he suggests, and I think he's exactly right, that one of the reasons is that our white churches uh, are really white culturally. Yeah, and that a lot of the ways that we run our church is not lack of culture; it is very, very cultural. And one of the examples yeah. that he gives is that uh, black folks tend, this is a tendency, but tend to really prefer to have politics as a part of the sermon and part of the pulpit, uh-huh. um, and white folks tend to resist that, and they yeah. don't want that. Well, that's completely a cultural sort of thing, and so you you either have politics as a part of your church or you don't, um, but that's a very cultural thing. But you can think of other cultural things as well, music and style of leadership and all kinds of issues. Right. Well, uh, okay, so some of our history. Right? Yeah, yeah. I went to a New City Fellowship, which is a PCA model of white and black reconciliation yeah, in yeah. America. Yeah, I we went, went to that together. You were there for longer than I was, but we well, were there I went f- to one before I came to seminary. Oh, that's right, that's yeah, right. In yeah, in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. And I went there for a number of years, uh-huh. and I saw them struggle to get African Americans involved. Yeah, and very intentionally and purposely trying their hardest to get them involved. Uh huh. And then I went to a New City in St. Louis, yeah. and they. They were also, they were further along, they were a little bit older congregation, yeah. Yeah. also struggling with the same thing. Yep. And then uh, when I left seminary, you and I actually, we traveled to Memphis together to look at an opportunity. That's right. It was multi-ethnic. We thought about working together back yeah. many, many years together. That's um, right. And trying to, to plant a multi-ethnic church with a black pastor. Yep. And uh, ultimately we passed on that. Yep. But um, I went to Philadelphia to plant a multi-ethnic church. That's right. I had a black, he was a mixed pastor, um, and his white wife. And then I had Congolese, a number of African people yep. who wanted me to plant a multi-ethnic church. And so I thought I had enough pieces in place. Those pieces fell apart. Yeah. And it ended up being just me trying to plant a church in Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. We ended up merging with a black church at yeah. some point and uh-huh. becoming a multi-ethnic church. Truly multi-ethnic. I mean, it was like that really 60% was. Yeah. black at one point. It was our biggest service, about 120 people, and 60% were black. Yep. And I thought, the Lord's doing something great here. This is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And it then slowly kind of fell apart. Yeah. And uh, and part of the reason was that it was just too expensive to live up there. Yeah. And when you had two pastors and two salaries to provide, it just was too much. When your largest service is 120 people, that's... Right, yeah. right. Where, there are places where 120 people can sustain sure. two pastors, sure. but not in Philadelphia. Not in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so when that, when that church plant closed, uh, that was, to me, the death of a long, cherished uh, pursuit of a multi-ethnic church. Yeah. I had the pieces in place, and it was grinding and hard, yeah. and a lot of people learned a lot of good things. I feel like we, we left our mark there yep. for the kingdom, but um, now I'm in a, in a white church, basically. Yep. I still carry with me the value of multi-ethnic church plant, but between closing that church in Philadelphia and the pastorate that I have now, yeah. um, and this is my advice to everyone who cares about this, yeah. uh, I went to a black church. Now, I didn't exclusively go to a black church because they had no youth group and my kids were young, yeah. and I wanted them to connect with other Christian friends, yeah. 
and um, but I my heart wanted to to commit and be a part of a black church. Yep. And and that's that's really where I'm going to land on this one. Yep. If you care about multi ethnic uh, racial reconciliation, justice and mercy in terms of race and the historic problem that we've had in America yep. where blacks have been exploited yep. and they've been thrown out of the church and they've been forced into their own churches. Yep. And now they have hundreds of years of culture in those churches. Why would they want to leave them? Yep. Why would you be so arrogant as to assume that they should leave them or that you have the better place to be? Because what, because you're white? Uh-huh. Now, having said that, I'm Presbyterian, yep. and I believe the PCA theology is probably the best denominational theology out there. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah, that's why I'm I'm PCA. I have no yep. other reason to be PCA. I have <laughs> right. no history. I'm a convert. I have no reason to be PCA. Yep. Other than I think the theology is most biblical. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I don't apologize for that. Yep. But when I went to this black church, I was saying. I want racial reconciliation. The black church was not a PCA church. We not, do have a, we, definitely not the a PCA, PCA church. <laughs> we we, yeah. we we have a few black PCA churches, not right. many. Yeah, yeah, not many. This not was many. definitely a Baptist church. Yeah, uh-huh. and an old school Baptist church. Yeah. So there's yeah. a difference. Okay. Yeah. and and these there were, is a difference. These were old saints who had been through segregation, who had been through the civil rights movement. Yeah, and they were some of the most spiritually sound and wonderful people yes. that I'd ever met. Yes, and I wanted to be. I just wanted to be like them. I wanted to know the spirituality that they had, the trust and the and the yes. the deep um uh you know the suffering that they've had and yet they were there was no anger. Yes. They'd reconciled that anger. Mm. And I and, and mm-hmm. I went through so many bad things where I actually talked to some of them yeah. and said, I don't know how to deal with this anger. Yeah. I know you've been through some stuff. Yeah. Where you've it's been unjust. Yeah. What did you do? Yeah. You know, give me some of your spirituality because what, this doesn't exist in the white church. Was it? Were they able to help you? They were helpful. Yeah, and and most of it was just understanding. Yeah, knowing that they had been through similar things. Yeah, and for them it was based on race. For me it wasn't. Yeah, but it was very very similar. Yeah, I was being misused and mistreated, and yeah. and they knew and understood that. And there was a spirituality combined with it that was compelling. Yeah, that doesn't exist in the white church. Yeah. And I and I've learned so much about uh, about black culture from multi. I want to poo on multi ethnic churches uh-huh. because I learned so much from them being yes. in those new city yes, fellowships. Yes, yes. It gave me a place of um, of understanding yes. where I could launch. But but now I'm in a place where I'm like, if I really want to work on racial reconciliation, I have no problem going to a black church. Totally, I have no problem worshiping in a way that is a little bit stretching for me. Yep. I have no problem hearing things that are a little bit too Baptist or a little bit too. Pentecostal or a little bit off from what uh-huh. I think is sound theology uh-huh. because I'm a big boy. I put on my big boy pants and I go to church and I say, I'm not going to agree with all of this, but there's a bigger purpose that I'm yep. I'm seeking here. Yep. And that is um, racial reconciliation. Which, by the way, is, uh, even though that is a part of our theology, racial reconciliation on yep. paper, uh, in the PCA, it is not a strong part of our theology practically. Right. Right? So where the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Right. 
what must the hand, what, what must the eye say to the hand then? I need you. And in the PCA yeah. and in the white church in general, we have not said to our black brothers and sisters, to our Hispanic brothers and sisters, to our Asian brothers and sisters, we need you. Yeah, and, and there are people who would argue that, that in context, that passage is about spiritual giftedness. It is. No. But it's Sorry. not. Sorry, it's not. Because, Go look at it. Yeah, the reference is slave <laughs> and free. That's right. Greek and Jew. It's those things. It's societal. Socioeconomic socioeconomic racial. Different things, yeah. It's racial and socioeconomic. Go and look at it. Yeah. You you can't say, I have no need of you. You do need them. That's you right. need them for understanding. You need them for so many things. And so, okay, so... Which means that if you go to an exclusively white church, then you are compromising in some way. True. Well, it, sorry. Either way, if, you're compromising that's something. Right. So we're all yeah. compromising. That's what I'm yeah. saying, is that it's not like... You go to, like, here's a church where I don't have to compromise. Here's a church where I do have to compromise. That doesn't exist. Right, right. And if you are learning doctrine, if you're learning theology, maybe you're not ready to compromise those things. If, you, if you're if you like me, Possibly. and you have you have a very solid conviction about what you think the Bible is saying, and, and you're not really going to be coerced. I think, I think it's in a narrow view, because uh-huh. if you are a young Christian— I'm happy for you to learn your theology at the feet of a wonderful Baptist black minister. Uh-huh. Because that's the basic... We agree on all the basic stuff. Right. There's right. some nuance that I'm going to disagree with, and it's not because he's black. It's mm-hmm. because he's a Baptist. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. But, Fair enough. But we're going to see them in heaven, and they... Right. There are brothers and the, sisters. What is yeah. the problem there? Like, I, yeah. you know, yeah. come on now. And as I've, I'm not, in, you know yeah. what? I'm not interested in growing Presbyterianism. I'm interested in growing Christianity. Right. I'm, I'm interested in glorifying Christ, and our Baptist brothers and sisters do it as well. I think they're wrong about a few things. It's probably because I've studied too much. You know, it, it, let me put a finer point on that. I would not be interested in going to a white Baptist church, but oh, a yeah. black oh, yeah. Baptist church—that's a great way to say it. Absolutely, that's a great way to say it. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't need to be around white people with theology I disagree with, and it's just going to be like unnecessary conflict. But with black folk, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever theological differences so that we can work on a relationship, and there's so much there yeah. that is not in the white church. Yep. And that's that's vice versa. I mean, th- we need each other, Yep. and the more that we can partner— So you want a multi-ethnic church— Go to a black church and make it a multi. Make it multi. Yeah. That's right. You be the white person in a black church. That's Take right. your family there. Bring some friends. That's right. Um, and make it a multi ethnic church. That's right. And I know they weren't necessarily asking for that, but I I promise you, I have had nothing but but wonderful oh my receptivity from black people. That's they right. have been so respectful. That's right. They've been so welcoming. That's right. They're so happy that I'm there. Yes. They show me great honor. So I feel like that 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 we could learn a whole lot about just how to treat people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from learning to go to about a black church. So let me let me uh, review my experience with multiracial, yeah. multi ethnic churches. Um, I've got lots of experience personally, but that, let me set that aside yeah. for just now. But um, I, we were part of the New City Fellowship in St. Louis that you were a part of and uh, for a short time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, they were. there really was a white church. And, and uh, for that, what my wife and I, we decided that, I don't know if you remember, that church, um, uh, they had English, French, and Spanish. Every worship service was in English, right. French, and Spanish. Right. Because not everybody, but most people spoke one of those languages. Yeah. And then the church, uh, the congregation would split up. And have three different sermons during the sermon time, one in English, one in French, one in Spanish. 
and the people who wanted to hear the Spanish sermon would go to the Spanish, and the three there would be three preachers, yeah. and those preachers would all get together and talk about what that sermon was. Right, um, and so they would all basically preach the same sermon, but it would be at the same time in different uh-huh. rooms. And and my wife and I always went to the Spanish service, always. Yeah, and uh, we didn't speak Spanish, but we wanted to connect with our Hispanic brothers and sisters, and especially Cuban refugees um, uh-huh. w- who were there, and uh, a lot of Colombians as well. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, we went then, we moved, we didn't know this was going to happen, but we moved to Miami, and we were part of a multi-ethnic church there as well, multilingual, multi-ethnic church there, and I was an assistant pastor where um, when the elders would meet together, when the staff would meet together, all those meetings had to be simultaneously translated into every word that everyone spoke had to be simultaneously translated into English and Spanish because not everyone spoke English, not everyone spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was a great, great community. And we really, that was, that was a great church. That's Granada Presbyterian Church, and they're still doing that. Yeah. Um, so then when I became a pastor of a small white church myself, um, I recognized I really don't... Our churches didn't have the resource right. um, in terms of money, and they didn't have the resource in terms of the leadership, me, um, to make it a multi-ethnic church. So what we decided to do there in Chapel Hill is to partner with um, an African-American church that was near us. And so yeah. we did. We partnered with um, St. Joseph CME Church, and uh, I got to know their pastor really, really well. She had the same exact vision that I did in terms of multi-ethnic churches. Mm-hmm. And we got together, um, and we decided every fifth Sunday we would worship together as churches. So I had this basically young white church, and she had this basically old black church. Actually, Dr. King preached there mm-hmm. um, during during the Civil Rights Movement right. um, when he was in Chapel Hill. And uh, so every fifth Sunday, we would alternate. We would go to, to their place one time, and then we'd come to our place, and then we'd go back and forth, and we'd worship together on that Sunday. Right. Um, and it was beautiful. We actually started off trying to do it, uh, like combining you know, some elements of your service and some elements of my service, and we put them together. Yeah. It was horrible. That we only didn't did work that out. once. It yeah. was awful. And so when we would go and, and worship there, uh, it was everything was exactly their the way service. They do it. We're going to yeah. go and join in with what they're doing. And when they would come to our place, they would join it. We're going to do it exactly the way that we do it. Right. And they're going to learn from us. And you're right. The the respect and honor that we were given in that church and the welcome that we were given in that church among these elderly black people right. who had been through the civil rights movement. Uh, and had no reason, <laughs> right. uh, realistically, to honor us. Right. But they did tremendously, and yeah. it was a, a real joy. Um, I think that, that is... Uh, I, I would still advocate for that kind of... Right. Uh, that's a way to help um, learn from and preserve that black culture still. Right, right. There's There are lots of beautiful things about that culture. Oh, my goodness. And it, born out of adversity, born out of... of, of struggle a systemic struggle totally and um even if those things are being resolved or are are dealt with there's still something really amazing about it there's a whole different component to the spirituality like i said yeah um and i don't want to lose that mm-hmm. um, i don't want to dilute it but i do want white people to learn about it totally and i do want good theology in all our churches totally um and so i really do think we need each other and when I think about like our church, which is a white church, uh-huh. 
Um, I have no aspirations of making it multi-ethnic because I've been down that road for a long time. Yeah. You need a lot of pieces. God really needs to provide you with, with wonderful pieces. Um, black leadership. Yes. Um, black elders. Yes. You, you know, all kinds of stuff. Yes. Uh, the music has to be something that, that is tolerable to African Americans. And yep. um, there's so much that needs to be in place. Yep. And it's very, very difficult. Yep. Right. Um, and I, I came to this church as a pastor saying, uh, I am not going to make this anything other than a white church. It's a uh-huh. white church. It's That's white what church. it is. Totally. But we're going we're gonna to see about some partnerships and yep. some deepening of understanding. But I can tell you, if I was not a pastor in a white church, I would be going, most likely, to a black church. When we moved here, um, my wife and I my, and, our, and our son... Uh, we, there was this, you know, I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel ordained in the, in the Presbyterian church in America. And there was one church, a PCA church here. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, uh, well, I don't have to go there. I'm not required by any right. regular, you know, uh, denominational regulation or anything. But I said, well, let's go and let's see what it is. And if not there, then we're going to go to a black church. Yeah. Um, so I'd said the exact same thing. And actually, yeah. we, you know, we have fit in and we've, we've, uh, decided to stay and serve that church. We've been there for almost five years now and. Um, and that's been good. Yeah. But yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that we would have gone to a black church if it hadn't, if that hadn't worked out for some reason. Right. Yeah. Now for, for, uh, white folks who have only always been in white churches, yep. um, and they don't feel like they can quite make the transition yep. to a black church, uh, for one reason or another. I'm not going to judge you. I just say uh, maybe a multi-ethnic church is a good place to start. But know that multi-ethnic churches largely are white churches that are trying to work on something where they're, they're, it's a white church where they're trying to bring black people in. That's right. And that's, I think that's a transitional point. Yep. But, it, but at some place, if you really want to be multi-ethnic, maybe you just need to go to a black church. You need to make that happen. Yeah, right. I think and that's that, right. And that's a relinquishing of power. Yes, it's a relinquishing. Totally. To say, I don't. I don't need to be in charge. It doesn't need to be a white church that brings black people in. It doesn't need to be that. Yeah, that I can go and I can hear the gospel proclaimed in a different way, and I'll learn. I'll learn what uh, in their expression, in their in their style. Yes, I have to learn from them. Yes, and uh, and if you want to influence, if you want to, if you really want to do ministry together, mm-hmm. then instead of being the from the top down, here's how we're going to do it. Black people come along with us. Go and, and let them have the power, and then say, uh, "Can I influence you from the bottom up? Mm-hmm. Can I serve and can I help and can I can I earn your respect and then uh, earn your ear?" Mm-hmm. That you would then ask me questions about whiteness or my perspective or whatever, right? Um, but but all the power and the control is in your hands, yeah. And I don't have to be the one who says this is the way it is or this is the right way to do it. By the way, yeah. it's probably not likely that anyone it would ask you and I at a black church about our whiteness, right? And the reason is because, as I'm sure you are well aware, white uh, black people have to be very, very bicultural just yeah. to exist in our society. They have to be tuned in to whiteness, and yes. they know whiteness really, really well. Yeah. Um, white people, on the other hand, do not have to be tuned in to any other culture, and right. so when we approach another culture. We don't know much about it. Uh, any yeah. other culture in the United States, 
they are very tuned into whites. Which is, which is, uh, it's fascinating. If you really want to understand your own whiteness. <laughs> we've uh, had a bunch the, of episodes the, about this, yeah. but it's been a while since we've talked about this. Hear the perspective yeah. of a black person. Uh-huh. Because they're not part of the whiteness and they're like, right. a third party, you know, looking in and yes. saying, there's the things that I see. Yes. Uh, what do you think about that? You know, uh-huh. and you have to reconcile. Okay. Now that, that might, if you really gain you, trust. Yeah. If you really want to hear something, yeah. you really want to learn something. I've heard, I've heard that from a few people. But some, not many, actually, because perspectives yeah. outside of your own majority culture. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. a good thing. I think that we need multi-ethnic churches, which you're right, are basically white churches that are trying to do something. But that's good. It we is al- good. It's we also helpful. need white churches who are very aware of what's going on. Uh-huh. We need uh, black churches who can preserve that spirituality and are aware of what's going on. And we right. need churches who are different um, ethnicities to get together, and different theologies, right. to get together and uh, learn from each other. Right. Um, you know, uh, when that when that black church came to our church, one of the things that they commented on was that the sermons that I would preach were so robust, uh-huh. and that they're not used to that. They're right. used to uh, very, very fiery sermons that have very little substance. Now, that fire is super important, and I'm telling you what, that uh, yeah. LaVisha Williams, the, the pastor there, she was an amazing preacher. She really was wonderful. I don't want to denigrate her at all, but... When they would come to me in our church, they would say, one of the things that went around in that church, as, okay, we're going to go over to the white church, bring your notebook, because you're going to need to take notes. <laughs> yeah. And not that you yeah. need to, but that you want to. They wanted to. Right. I would, I would even push back and say, um, uh, maybe change the phrasing there. The, the, okay, the, sorry. The sermon isn't, uh, the sermons weren't robust, or, or they're, they're, they're not that they weren't robust. Okay. It's that they're they're very different in their... Fair enough. Maybe robust isn't the right word. Yeah, so I have heard sermons uh, in, in a black church that were um, theologically not so much like a get your notebook and take notes, Yeah, but they were, they were so tuned in to the human condition. Yes. They were so focused in on a real... A spiritual problem in the oh, yeah. soul, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Um, that I would not get from uh, from a white yes. perspective. Yes, yes, yes. That might have all kinds of um, scholarship and yes. all kinds of, of yes. know, robust in that way, but they were robust in a different way. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Fair enough. I, I don't. Yes, right. <laughs> I, I, thank you for that yes, correction because sure. I don't mean to say that it's not significant in the yeah, black yeah, church. Right, right. Not at all. Uh, but tapping into a kind of, uh, I don't know, we're, we're just we're approaching preaching and approaching spirituality right. in a different way, and they're both good. But the kind of preaching that I did, those right. elderly black people were thirsty for. Right, they were thirsty for it. Right, and our folks in my church were were thirsty for uh, the preaching that was there as well. Right, and for the spirituality that was there. And that comes from you know you, you just uh, what I'm I'm uh, you know that I studied judo. I don't, this is a weird example, but I'm, mm-hmm. I studied judo and and uh, I've been doing this for a little over a year now, and uh, we've got some folks who are coming to learn judo who come from a, a strong jujitsu background, uh, Brazilian jujitsu, mm-hmm. and those two disciplines have a very similar background, uh, but they kind of split in their. Uh, 
geography, uh, uh, geography, yeah. history. and then uh-huh. history, that kind of thing. Where Brazilian jiu-jitsu is all about the ground game and wrestling. Not exactly uh-huh. wrestling, but if if you don't not familiar with this, then that'll yeah. that helps to give you on the ground. People like tight in each in each other's, right. uh, you know, grabbing onto each other, and they are all about that. Judo has some of that for sure, but it's a lot more about the throws. People standing up and being thrown. Right. And so uh, we got a you know a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu who knows his stuff. He comes and has not really studied judo before. Even though we've got a similar background, right. they do throws in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but it's not like judo throws. Right. And he is, I mean, uh, I can throw him no problem when we're sparring. Right. Even though he's a black belt. Why? Because there's just a different emphasis. Right. On the other hand, when once I get him down... It's, I'm toast. Yeah, it's I'm, game over. It's game yeah. over for me. He's a black belt, actually. Right, right. And I'm not. But uh, it's just a different emphasis, and he learns from me, and I learn from him. And it's beautiful, because we got a similar heritage, but his school has uh, emphasized one thing, and my school has emphasized a different thing. And that's how I felt when we would go to that black church. Yeah, and, and to, to work that metaphor even further, yeah. you know, the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu really became powerful because there was a man who was handicapped mm. in Brazil. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so um, judo was a way of taking jujitsu, which came from Japan, yeah, um, and making it for more over of a thousand years. Yeah, make it made yeah. it more of a sport. Yes, that's and, right. And not so much of self defense or brutality sort yes, of that's right. martial art. And uh, but jujitsu went to Brazil. There was a man there in the Gracie family who was disabled in some way, and mm. he had to cultivate and rely upon. Um, manipulating joint locks and things that, that yeah. are not about throwing, yeah. it's about being on the ground yeah. because of his limitations. Interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that's and that produced uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which mm-hmm. is which is very different, mm-hmm. um, and it has uh, and 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 really furthered that discipline. Yeah, because of that limitation. Right. And I think about that in terms of, of race. White people have limitations, and yes. black people have limitations. Yes. And those those disciplines have cultivated on their own, but they really do need to learn from each other. They absolutely do. They, they, and when they do, there is a fullness and a richness and a humanity and a spirituality that will be closer to heaven. Yes. And and I'm hungry for that. Man, even just talking about it this way yeah. is absolutely wetting my yeah, appetite. You're, you're, you're slobbering down your chin. Yeah, I... I um, I don't, but that's pretty typical. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're exactly right about that. And yeah. that's, um, yeah, you know, we have the same vocabulary and the same basic resources, but the different cultures we have gone about our spirituality and cultivated it in different ways. Yeah. And they've done some things with it that we have barely started. Yeah. But man, we need to learn from them. And we have done some things that they have just not, they've kind of neglected for a long time. Yeah. And they need to learn from us. And that's just how this stuff works. And I don't, I don't want to dilute either one, but I want to enjoy both. And, and again, just to reiterate. Okay. If, if people want to come together and work on racial reconciliation, do not request of the offended, historically offended party. Yep. To then come and be a part of the oh, majority. Yeah. You go and yep. you be a part of them. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's right. You're right. We're not just different. There is uh, one that is offensive and the other that is offended. Yep. Yep. Uh, as a group. And that's that actually makes a big, big difference, doesn't it? Yeah.
It really does. Yeah. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for listening to The Hopper and yes. for sending in that question. Um, it is super helpful and something that, that we are passionate about, and obviously you are too. And uh, we'll just keep working on it together. Hey, Hopper Podcast Hoppers, we've got bonus episodes for you. Yeah, you've asked for them, and we've got them. More Hopper goodness. We're actually growing quite a catalog of excellent bonus episodes that are off our regular format. Hilarious stories that aren't quite appropriate for the regular podcast. Yep, and bonus interviews with some of our favorite guests. Yeah, so if you want to get access to these great things, just tap or swipe on the purple Hopper Podcast cover art on your podcasting app. Find the show notes there. Follow the link to sign up. For just $5 a month or more, if that'd be great, you can get all the past and future bonus episodes. And you'll be supporting independent podcasters like us, trying to promote thoughtful, compassionate, nuanced Christian commentary. And we need a lot more of that. Amen. Thank you for your support. Willie, I am gearing up to go to Guatemala. What? And by the time this episode hits the, the interwebs, I'll probably be there. Okay. Um, you know, we interviewed Scott Moore not too yeah, long ago yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about I Am Art. Those are some great... We had two episodes with him. Yes. Go back and look those up, because those were some of our best um, interviews. Yeah, he was. he's fantastic. Yeah, so he's a longtime friend, his yeah. wife, uh, even longer friend. Yep. And they have started a, a ministry called Authenticos, yep. and I'll be going with them yep. uh, with some... Uh, former friends and parishioners in Virginia uh-huh. the first 10 days, and then from people from our church yeah. the next 10 days. So I'll be there uh, about three weeks or more, Yeah, um, which is going to be hard on me. Sure. Um, but I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, the first trip will be at an orphanage, and the second trip will be at a, uh, a girl's home yeah. for uh, those who have been sexually abused in our um trying to work through the system to yeah. get justice. Uh-huh. Uh, this this uh, second place is called Oasis, uh-huh. and it is definitely an oasis from their life and yeah. the opportunity to uh, to find some healing. Yeah. Um, it's run by Kids Alive. And uh, then the, the, the uh, orphanage is a, uh, is a working farm yeah. that is taken, uh, you know, in our country, there's, there are systems for all this. Yeah. In Guatemala, there there are real legitimate orphans that uh, have nowhere to go and nothing to do, yes. um, and uh, just just uh, destitute and terrible. Right. And there are a lot of ministries trying to to work on that problem. Yeah, yeah. And this is a uh, uh, Opal House, and that it's just an orphanage with a working farm that's trying to educate and help yep. kids. And, yep. Uh, so we're going to do the I Am Art curriculum, which is uh, helping kids understand that they are made uh, by God and they're God's art. Yes. And then they, uh, we work through the curriculum where they do art. Yeah. And then somewhere in the middle, it gets destroyed. It gets marred. Yeah. It gets wrecked in some way. Yeah. And the uh, the the workshops have a plan to redeem that art. Mm. And the kids, when they when they create the art, they don't want to wreck it. Of course, yeah. Um, and of course, they they have to work through their history. Yeah. And the trauma in their lives. Yeah. Alongside of that art process yeah and on the other side when they see that the art has changed into something it's been redeemed yeah. it's somehow more beautiful it's somehow more community oriented yeah um then we we invite them to share their stories in community and, yeah. and understand the gospel through art yeah 
um, it's a it's a really wonderful ministry, mm-hmm. and uh, we're taking some people from our church down there. Yeah. and it's their first mission trip. Yeah, is people that right? Had, yeah, people have had to get passports for the first time. Okay, they've had to raise support for the first time. Yeah, and they're going to go and have a life experience that I think will serve them the rest of their lives. Yeah. And I will be there to help them process, and yeah. there's built-in time to do the processing. Good. And uh, I'm really, in that way, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. But man, being out of the states for three weeks is not easy. Okay. Um, if unless you're on some European vacation, uh, <laughs> yeah. even then I start longing for home. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've I've been in Europe for uh, I think the longest was two weeks. Yeah. And at the end of that two weeks, I was really ready to come home. Yeah. Um, and I guess some people don't have that, but, uh, when you're in a place that is, that is really poor yeah, and you're just doing ministry the yep. whole time, yep. uh, yep. It, yep. it's a challenge. Yes, it is. Um, but it's, I think it's going to be great. I think it'd be great for our people and the yeah. people who are going on the first trip. Uh, many of them are from Virginia uh-huh. where, where I used to live and, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a good opportunity. Yeah. Good. Good. And you guys almost uh, almost went. Yeah, I was very. We were very interested in going, and I like those kinds of trips. Um, but I think we're going to stay behind this time, and I'll probably uh, fill uh, in the pulpit. Fill for in the me. pulpit yeah. for you. Yeah, uh, which is which is needed. Be the backup preacher. Yeah. you know, and um, you know, missions can be uh, not very helpful. Yeah, to the people that you're going to serve. Yeah. Uh, this is one case where it is very helpful. Yes. It's very therapeutic. Yes. And it is it is very similar to therapy. Yes. Um, therapies that are used yes. uh, in real clinical settings. Right. Um, and it's it's very gospel-oriented as well, uh-huh. which, you know, the, the gospel uh, is its own therapy. Absolutely. And there's so much that can, the healing that can be brought by understanding who God is, how he feels about you, what he's done for you in Jesus. Yes. Um, that is, uh, really believing that is, yes. is the, the struggle. Yeah. Because if you truly believe that, it really changes everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I feel really good about this particular ministry, but even though it, it, it costs a lot of money to travel, uh-huh. um, and we give donations to the ministry, and we got to buy art supplies and stuff like that, but it's really the airfare really kills it. Yeah, that's the expensive um, part. It is. It is. I th- I still think travel is very important for yeah. for people to learn, to get out of their context, to see a different environment, to see uh, a different life. Yeah, and then have fresh eyes to see what they've been assuming uh-huh. their whole lives about uh-huh. the way that they've grown up. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I hear what you. I, I think what I hear you saying is that uh, it's it, this is going to be really really powerful and helpful to the girls that you're ministering to and the mm-hmm. and the orphans, but then also to the people from Virginia and Kentucky that are right. going to be uh, there as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And uh, and um, I think it helps our our church to, to have something to wrap their minds around and to serve together and to promote, even if they're not going, they can... They can donate, and they can. They'll hear the testimonies when people come back. Sure, sure. And uh, and maybe they'll go in the future. Yeah. But. Uh if listeners are interested in this kind of ministry, how can they get involved? Yeah, I, guess I mean, we can put links in the show notes. We'll do that. Yeah, certainly they can. They can directly get involved with Authenticost. They mm-hmm. don't have to go through us. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go directly to that. Oh, ministry. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but I do plan on doing some kind of IM art camps in the future. Okay. With authentic gospel, I just don't know when. Okay. Um, and I will certainly be trying to get some more of our church folks to do that. Yeah. And uh, provide those opportunities every couple of years or so. Yeah. So that's great. So folks from from in Kentucky can be a part that way. And then uh, we'll put links in the show notes for Authenticos and and how people right. can get involved there. Thanks for listening to the Hopper Podcast. Let's keep the conversation going about things that matter and things that don't. You've got corrections, comments, questions, queries, complaints, or just a great story? Look for the show notes for this episode on your podcasting app and find ways to join the conversation. Hey, try to keep it clean, and if you do, we'll probably feature you in an upcoming episode. Hey, we're just two guys here spitballing. If you're trying to build the Hopper community with us, come along. Share our episode. Yeah, that was a great episode. It was so good that you and I now deserve honorary doctorates. Absolutely. Go tell someone about that. Tell them what you've learned and uh, show them how they can listen to it themselves. If you can't think of anyone who would like to enjoy this episode, you need to make some more friends. Willie, what's the lesson we should take away from this episode? Winnie the Pooh is an evil genius playing the long con. What's a long con? A long Playing the, uh, the con for a long time. Yeah, I've never heard that word before. Oh, I've yeah. never the expression a long like a, con. Like a con, like a con yeah. man. I get it. A, a con long... man who's gonna who's who's you know the long. Yeah. yeah. What's brown and smelly and sits in the hundred acre woods? <laughs> Winnie's the, poo. Winnie's poo. Yeah. His name is a dead giveaway. Oh, that he's an evil con. genius. Yeah. I guess. I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>